32. We'll read verses 1 through 20. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made known. Serenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the, house, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were so afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is, called, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angels of multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth good will toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from the gone away into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Let's bow our heads in prayer.
Father, as we bow before you, we know that that night when our Savior came as the incarnate one to dwell upon this earth, that that was the most glorious night on the face of this earth. We know that your salvation came through your Son, and we worship you because of that. We thank you, Father, of his willingness to come and being born of the Virgin, to live a godly and perfect life for our benefit, but to also go to the cross and to die on that cross to pay for our sins. We know that there is no truth greater than that. And we thank you that we can come before you and worship you and know that if we are in Christ, that our sins have been forgiven because of what he has accomplished. We pray that this day that all that would be said and done would bring honor and glory to your name as we think upon our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. The last three sermons have addressed the events that took place prior to this passage that we just read, how the angel Gabriel had come to Zacharias, to Mary, and to Joseph, and how God had radically changed their lives in giving them the news of what was about to happen to each one of them. The things that Gabriel told them was so awesome that Zacharias simply could not believe that his wife Elizabeth would be having a son in their old age. And this doubt caused him to be speechless for nine months. Don't know whether that was a punishment or a blessing to Elizabeth, but maybe she enjoyed silence for nine months. But it gave him time to think, to think about his questioning the Lord's ability to do all things. Joseph also had a difficult time accepting the news of Gabriel, which was even more amazing than the news that had been given to Zacharias, but yet he quietly submitted to the Lord's will. Mary was astonished that she had been chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. She simply could not believe that God had chosen her. And she broke forth in the Magnifica, a song praising God. And after learning that she would be blessed by the Messiah with such an honor, she quickly went to share the news with Elizabeth. Now, these verses that have been preached are full of amazing announcements and hearing just how awesome God is in bringing His Messiah into the world. R.C. Sproul said, At no time in the history of the world has any woman ever had a child while she remained a virgin. And this would be the first and the last time in all of history that such an event would take place. What a unique event. Now what is really unique about the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is that it's not unique. 
in this passage. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, all the amazing things have already taken place. Mary has already conceived, being a virgin, and the baby has grown in Mary, and now it comes to take place. And Luke records the birth of Jesus in these nine verses. And there's nothing miraculous in these nine verses that we see here. Simply, Jesus is born and laid in a manger. When a baby's born today, every second is recorded. I know. I've seen it happen. And I have been there just recently when it happened. Parents go all out. I think there's a little bit too much information given in our day when a child is born. We used to just simply wait out in the waiting room and we were told whether it was a girl or a boy, but today a lot more is carried on. Well, in this particular day when Jesus was born, it was the good old days, I guess you'd say. Joseph just simply probably delivered the child himself. We don't have any information pertaining to that. The scripture's silent on that. But we have only seven verses that speak about Jesus being born. So all the new, unique things had already occurred. We're simply told while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. I mean, that's all we need to know. Jesus came into the world just like all other children. A normal birth. Now this event is spoken of, especially at this time of year, but throughout the year, it's good to refer to the incarnation of Christ. And each time we hear it, it should refresh us. It should encourage us. But let me remind you that we only have the record of Jesus' birth, what took place here in Luke. We have more information uh, in Matthew, but it doesn't speak of the birth. Only in Luke do we have this where it says that Mary gave birth. You go to the Gospels, and all four Gospels give one-third of the gospel to Christ's death and resurrection. Now, the reason why I say that is to emphasize the most important part of Christ. is not his birth, but his death. And Scripture reveals that to us. He had to come into the world, and he was born to die. And the emphasis throughout the Gospels speak of his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we not, should not cover the birth of Christ. What I'm saying, the emphasis must be always placed on his death, burial, and resurrection. You cannot leave him in the manger. You must follow him throughout the Gospels to the end. And as I said, the gospel writers, as quick as they can, get to his suffering, his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, only God in his wisdom 
could design such a magnificent chain of events to bring about the birth of his only begotten son who was born to die for his people. And even Jesus' lineage described both in Matthew and in Luke is simply astounding to see how Luke goes all the way back to Adam and to see how Matthew goes all the way back to Abraham to do what? To show us redemptive history. That from the very beginning of history that God planned to bring forth His Son. We know that from Genesis there in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 that Adam and Eve are told that there would be the Messiah that would be born and come and crush the head of the serpent. So we have record both there in Luke as well as Matthew of redemptive history, the lineage of Jesus. It reveals the fulfillment of all the prophecies that were given to us there in the Old Testament, how God orchestrated all of human history to bring about the birth of the Messiah in Bethlehem. There never has been a story like it, and there never will be a story like it. Its uniqueness is due to being God's story to being the Savior's story. He designed it from creation and he brought it about in history. Luke begins with the birth of Jesus, which with these words, and it came to pass. Now, he goes on and he describes the events which led to Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem. Scripture reveals that this event took place with real people in real time, in real places, in history. Luke doesn't begin his gospel here in chapter 2 by saying, once upon a time. I heard a church was going to have story time this morning. And they said that they wanted the children to come to church in their pajamas, and the pastor was going to present to them this marvelous story in a children's format. And we have to be very careful not to cause children or anyone else to think that the story of the birth of Jesus is simply just another story. No. It's the story of the King of Kings coming to this world. This story is not just another story. It's a story that really happened just like all the other stories in the Bible. But this is the most magnificent story of all, the birth and life of Jesus. And we must not in any way cause our children to think that this is just like all the other once upon a time stories. No, this is an event that took place in history, and we must press that upon them. Now those who, of course, reject Christ being born of a virgin, reject the other stories of the Bible as well as this story. They deny because they deny God. They don't believe in the God of the Bible and they seek to disprove it. They reject God. They don't believe the words that are said here for nothing is impossible with God because they become their own God. They have been deceived just like Adam and Eve were deceived there in the garden. Think 
thinking that they ought to listen to Satan and what Satan says, and therefore they deny the truth, and they think that they are their own God, and they filter everything through their own mind instead of through Scripture. We must filter everything through Scripture, through what God has said. Because if we want to know God, and we want to know about His salvation, and we want to know His Son, we must filter it through His Word. Now we see here in these words that it tells us that there went out a decree that was made by Caesar Augustus. Now, the reason Caesar made this decree is because God had already made a decree in eternity. And God the Father had decreed that His Son would be born in Bethlehem. As in Galatians 4.4 says, But in the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, born under the law. So we know that God determined the exact time and the exact place that His Son would be born. Nothing in heaven and earth could keep His Son from being born in Bethlehem. Nothing could keep the Father from fulfilling that promise that He made there in Genesis chapter 15, or chapter 3, verse 15. That He was going to send His Son, His Messiah, to crush the head of the serpent and to save His people from their sins. So God determined the specific time in the fullness of time. God determined the specific place, Bethlehem, And God determined the specific mission, which is to save His people from their sins. Now, Rome's emperor, Caesar Augustus, did exactly what God had decreed, even though he was left to make that decision. And God moved him to do that. Caesar Augustus, if you did not know, was the second emperor of Rome. He had succeeded his great uncle, Julius Caesar. Caesar Augustus' name was Octavian. And he was given the name Augustus, which means supreme, majestic, esteemed one. And the Jews despised it. They despised Rome for using the name Augustus for an earthly ruler, for only God is worthy of such a title. See, the true August was born there in Bethlehem, was born there in the manger. He is the supreme one. He is the majestic one. He is the esteemed one. But he was born there in Bethlehem for there was no room there in the stable because there was no room in the inn. And Luke tells us that Joseph, being of the lineage of David, went to Jerusalem to register for the tax. Now we can only speculate why Mary went with him. Remember, Mary was pledged to be Joseph's wife. They were in what we would call the engagement period, but yet not like our engagements today. An engagement at that particular time was like you were married, except you were not in the same household together. And Mary and Joseph had not come together yet because God had ordained that Mary would continue to be a virgin until Jesus was born. So being so close to birth, Joseph knew it was best that she would go with him. 
especially due to the circumstances. I mean, her being pregnant, though they were not officially married, she was looked down upon. And no telling what may have transpired there if she would have remained in Nazareth. So therefore, Joseph knew it'd be best that he would carry his wife with him, even though it would be a long, difficult journey for them to go to Bethlehem. Again, Luke reveals to us that this isn't this is a real event, real time, real history. And Luke received this information from Mary many years later. For we see that she pondered all of these things in her heart, she remembered all the things that had taken place, and she never forgot them. She did that so that we would be able to have the record that we have today and we've read from. Luke wrote these things so that people might know. Notice what Luke tells us at the very beginning of his gospel. There in chapter 1, at the very beginning, he says, For so much as many as have taken into hand to set forth, order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having made perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order. So we see that he's going to eyewitnesses, and he's recording these things, and he's writing these so individuals might be able to read them and understand them. Now, of course, we know the ultimate reason is that God had decreed these things. And we know that the record tells us the prophet Micah had announced this prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And this where David was anointed as king by Samuel. You remember that event when Samuel went and he asked Jesse, where are your sons? And brought all the sons and he went to each one of the sons and none of them uh, were pointed out by God to Samuel to anoint. And he said, do you have any other sons? And he said, well, I got one more, the young son, the runt of the family. He's out in the field watching the sheep. And he said, well, bring him here. And that, of course, was the one that God would have anointed as king. And that was there in Bethlehem. Says so Luke tells us, and Joseph also being up from Galilee, from the uh, town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. There in Bethlehem, David was anointed the king. And now the king of kings is born in the same area. And his kingdom, of course, will last forever and ever. Now, no doubt, it wasn't a pleasant trip for Mary. About 90 miles to travel, most likely by donkey, and it probably took four or five days. And we know from what is said that Bethlehem was a very crowded place. Many people were from Bethlehem, and many people had to go there due to the census, for there was no room in the inn, we're told. And here we see the humility of Christ at the very beginning of his life to have to be born, not in an inn, but most likely a cave. (coughs) Excuse me. Later in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, he says, Foxes have holes 
and birds have air have of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus never owned a piece of land. He never owned anywhere to lay his head. The king of kings had no palace. The king of kings had no bedroom that he could call his own. He came into this world in shame and humiliation, being born more or less in a stable, in a barn around animals. And we see that the beginning of his life was a life of humility, even to the end of his life, which was a life of humility by hanging on the cross. But yet he never one time complained to his father, but delighted in doing the work and fulfilling the work that his father had given him to do. The place he was laid was fit only for animals, a feeding trough, and laid more or less on strips of rags, cloth. He who created the world and had power to call down 10,000 angels, willingly submitted to his Father in all things, never objecting, but yet in doing so gave you and me an example to follow, as Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. But we see that God the Father had determined to make it known that the Messiah was born in Bethlehem. He did not proclaim it to the high and mighty, but he proclaimed it to the low and weak. And this brings us to the second event found in verses 8 through 14. We're told that there were shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now there are debates over who these shepherds were. There's some that say these shepherds were temple priests who raised the sheep to be sacrificed in, at the temple. Others simply say they were common poor shepherds. Well, I don't know of any biblical evidence that tells us anything other than that they were common poor shepherds out on the plains, keeping watch over their flock, as the scripture says, by night. And as the song says, it was a silent night. There may have been the occasional bleak of the sheep. Of course, the shepherds would take turns sleeping as they watched their sheep, alternating with one another so that they'd make sure that there was no harm done to the sheep by wild animals or thief or that one would wander off. We don't know how many shepherds there were. You know, tradition says there were somewhere between three to six sheep, but we don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us, but we know that there was more than one. There was a couple at least, and they were doing what they always did as shepherds, keeping watch, caring for the sheep, protecting them, watching over them. And then the Scripture tells us suddenly. In other words, there was no announcement, no warning, or human messenger coming to them, telling them to get ready. They're about to be approached by an angel and a host of angels. They were not prepared for this incredible event. 
but yet the silence was broken by this angel from heaven, most likely Gabriel. Gabriel was the high archangel that came to Mary and Joseph and Zacharias, so most likely it was the same angel that came to these shepherds. And we see that the glory of the Lord shone round about him. The Shekinah glory was the blazing, shining, blinding glory of God. So we see that the darkness disappeared as God's glory shined forth. I mean, those that were asleep suddenly woke up. No doubt, they were afraid, terrified to say the least. I think the King James does appropriately translate this when it says, so afraid. I mean, it's one thing to be afraid, but it's another thing to be sore afraid. I mean, when you're so afraid, you are so afraid more than you've ever been afraid before. And this was the most afraid these shepherds had ever been. We can't even comprehend what they experienced. I mean, who wouldn't be trembling in fear at the manifestation of the glory of God at this particular moment? The angel used the most frequent negative prohibit in the New Testament which comes on from high, we see it often, fear not, do not be afraid. This was told to John, this was told to Mary, and this was told to Joseph, and now it's told to the angels. I mean, when a sinful creature comes into the presence of God, he can't help but be fearful. When he sees God's glory, he will be terrified. It doesn't matter how close you are to God. Think of the prophet Isaiah, a man of God. There in chapter 6 of Isaiah, we see that he was terrified when the Lord filled the temple and he was there in his presence. He saw himself as coming apart. He was completely fearful of what God was doing. We see also that when Jesus appeared on certain occasions, that he also called people to tremble. His own disciples, remember the time there in the boat, when the storm came up and Jesus calmed the storm and they realized the power that he had, they were afraid of him. They said, depart from us because they saw the power that was within him. They knew it was greater than any human being alive. Well, the angel said unto them, fear not. Now, why? Why did the angel say fear not? For he says, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. In other words, I got something good to tell you, so don't be fearful which shall be to all people, for unto you this day in the city of David is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now can you imagine what was going on in their minds? These humble, despised shepherds, these outcasts, shepherds were outcasts in that day and time. People didn't like to be around them. One reason, because they smelled like sheep. They were dirty. And they're thinking to themselves, why in the world would an angel come to us? They might have thought these angels evidently took a wrong turn when they left heaven. They didn't come to the right place. And they're wondering to themselves, why are you giving us this message? But the angel continued to discourse. He said, do not be afraid, for this is the birthday of the one who will save you. This is the day of your Savior is born. Not only is He the Savior, but He is Christ the Lord. 
So they receive the message from the angel. The shepherds knew the meaning of the word Christ. The Old Testament translation of the word what, children? Messiah. Messiah is Christ in the New Testament. We talked about that before. So today your Savior is born. Today the Messiah is born. Today the Lord is born in Bethlehem. And this will be a sign unto you. So the angel says, we're going to make clear to you that you will know the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord. And that's very significant. You're going to be able to find the baby. You're going to be able to identify the one. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, of course, that was not common. When they had birth, they did not normally wrap them in swaddling clothes and lay them in a manger, a feed trough. So that was significant. We will be wrapped in cheap strips of cloth. He's not in a throne, but a manger. Now next we see a greater display of this glorious announcement there. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The messenger, again Gabriel I believe, is surrounded by an entire heavenly host, a multitude of angels that inhabited heaven and surrounded the presence of the eternal God now are filling heaven and they see it. I don't know if it was every single angel or not. It wouldn't surprise me. God may have sent every single angel. I mean, it evidently was a magnificent sight for them to be whole of God's glory of Christ coming to this earth. These angels say in union, glory, doxa, glory, Augustus, to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. I mean, here we have the first singing of what we sang a little bit earlier. I wish I could have sang. I was trying to save my voice. Gloria in excelsis. Deo. I mean, what a glorious hymn. Don't you enjoy singing the good old hymns? Don't you love singing that hymn? Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains, and the mountains in reply echoed their joy restrained. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Can't help but say it's sad that many churches no longer sing the good old hymns, but only the new ones. I'm not saying we don't sing the new ones. I'm just saying don't stop singing the old ones. Someone recently talked to one of my children and said, I saw where y'all had a carol service. Please let me know next year I want to come to a church that sings the old carols. I like that. Tell people that we sing them here. And we'll continue to sing them here. Even after I'm pastor, you're going to sing them here because I'll come back and haunt you if you don't. The main reason we have a voice is to give praise to God. It was tough this morning not to be able to sing. I love to sing, but I knew I couldn't sing or I wouldn't be able to finish the sermon. I'd have to ask Brad to come finish it. I'd ask Brad to be my backup today in case I couldn't talk. 
I hope he wasn't praying that I wouldn't be able to talk. I hope he was praying elsewhere. <laughs> but anyway, I appreciate you being my backup. I'm glad I didn't have to use you. But the scripture says, Psalms 96, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye nations. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord. Praise His name. Show forth His salvation from day to day. What a glorious sound that was that came from heaven as the angels proclaimed who Christ was. Then Luke tells us that when the angels had gone away, from them into heaven that the shepherds began to speak to one another. Can you imagine that conversation? I think they were interrupted. I don't think anybody's listening. I think they were all just talking. You've been in those situations. They were all trying to talk and ask questions and nobody was answering. They were just all jabbering to one another. But finally we see that they realized we need to go see this thing that has taken place. There was such great excitement among these shepherds. I mean, that happens at the birth of a normal child, right? I can remember the birth of my firstborn. I think that one always makes the impact upon all of us as fathers, that firstborn. I saw it in my own son just recently. I can remember it was like four, I think four o'clock in the morning. I began to call people. I thought everybody wanted to be woke up and hear about the birth of my first child, right? I mean, shouldn't they be as excited as I was? I don't think they were, but anyway, they should have been, I thought. And that's how these shepherds were. They were excited. I mean, they were saying to one another, did you see what I saw? Were we all seeing the same thing? Did you hear what I heard? Can you believe what we just saw as far as the angels are concerned? Can you believe the message that we just heard that the Messiah, the Savior, they knew who the Messiah was, has come? I mean, what are we waiting on? Let's go find this babe that is born in Bethlehem. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Now again, we're not told how they found them. There is speculation uh, from Micah 4, 8. It says, And thou tower of the flock, the strong among the hold of daughter of Zion, unto thee shall be come even the first dominion. The kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. They say that tower of the flock, was a particular location, and they thought that that was where they went. Now, we're not sure on that, but yet that is what some people hold to. But anyway, we know somehow or another they found out where Mary and Joseph was. But again, it's unique. I mean, these are the only people on the night that Jesus was born that came to see Jesus. No one else came. Only these shepherds. They came with haste and they found Mary and Joseph. But they weren't coming to see Mary and Joseph. They came to see the babe lying in the manger. Again, I experienced that a couple of weeks ago. I didn't go to the hospital to see my son or my daughter-in-law. I went to see Swayze. Now they were there. I saw them. But I really wasn't interested in seeing them. Same way with these shepherds. They weren't really interested in seeing Mary and Joseph. They were interested in seeing the baby Jesus. And they were thrilled to death to be able to find him. Find him exactly as the angels had said. The babe was lying in the manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying there. Now we don't know how long they stayed. 
But I, I imagine they may have been asked to leave. <laughs> kind of like, you know, again, when you go to the hospital, see that born baby, you may have to be asked to leave sometime. So they may have been asked to leave. But the shepherds evidently told Mary and Joseph what had transpired told them why they found them, why they were there, because it's recorded. And, and Mary pondered those things in her heart. Then what happened? Well, we see that once they had seen, they made it widely known by saying that they had been told concerning the child. I mean, they told everyone they knew. They didn't just try to live a good life and have people come up and say, well, what changed your life, what changed you from being a sinful person, a sinful old shepherd to a bold Christian? They didn't just do evangelism, as some say, by example, but they verbalized. They opened their mouth and they told everyone what they had heard and seen and how they had marveled at seeing the Christ child. I wonder how long the shepherds marveled. How long did the excitement last? How long did the zeal and happiness from this experience, which appears to have been a converting experience? In other words, what I'm saying, they met the Savior. Even though the Savior was a baby, they met the Savior. There was a work of grace done in their life. Their eyes were open to see that this Messiah came to save his people from their sins. And they were overcome with joy. Not only joy in seeing the Messiah, but joy in what the Messiah did in their life. And they wanted people to know who he was and what they had done, he had done for them. And we see the scripture tells us there, verse 19, that Mary never forgot these things. It says, she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Ponder means to revive, revolve in the mind. In other words, go over them again and again in the mind. She pondered these things until she came to the foot of the cross. She pondered these things as she watched her son hang on the cross. She pondered these things as she saw her son taken off the cross and put in the tomb. And she pondered these things until Sunday morning when he was no longer in the grave, but he arose from the grave, not in humility as he was brought into this world, not in shame, not in disgrace, but in glory and triumph and exaltation. He came forth from the grave. And she pondered that all of her life. And sometime later, the apostle Luke came to her and asked her to share what she could share with him of all of these events that were recorded. These events that we have recorded here in the Gospel of Luke. And the final thing that we see is that the shepherds left doing two things. 
said, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. The two things, praising God and glorifying Him for all that they had heard and all that they had seen. See, that's what a true Christian is called to do. A true Christian is called to praise God, to worship God, to gather every Lord's day, not just on the day that Christ was born or the day that Christ rose from the grave, but every Lord's day together corporately with the people of God to praise Him. Now, of course, we praise God every day, but we are commanded to praise Him on His day, the Lord's day, and glorify Him. When a person meets the Savior, he can't help but give him glory and honor and dominion and power and praise. And we join in with the angels saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive the fullness of the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this magnificent record of the Lord's birth. We thank you that you did not leave us to our own ignorance, but you have given us your very words, which give us details of how our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ came into this earth. And we thank you for the Gospels, Father, which tell us not only was he born but that he lived a perfect life. That he lived that perfect life not for himself, but for us. For we know that we could never live a perfect life. For we are sinners, depraved, unable. So we thank you, Father, that you sent your Son to live that life for us. And that he has imputed his righteousness to us. And that our sins have been imputed to him. We thank you, Father, that he was willing to go to Calvary and to hang upon that cross to pay the penalty that we could not pay to pay for our sins so that we might be set free from them. And Father, we thank you that he did not stay in that grave but he rose from the grave and ascended into glory and now sits at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf, even at this very moment. And we gather, Father, this day to worship him, to worship him in truth. And Father, we pray that we would be faithful to do just as the shepherds did, to go forth from this place and to tell others of who he is and what he has accomplished and to follow his example that he has set before us. Father, we pray for those that would be here this morning that have never bowed before the Savior. May this be the day of salvation, Father. 
May this be the day that they bow before him and recognize him as the Son of God, as the one to to take away their sins, to save them from their sins. May they worship him and live for him. Do that work, Father, by your Spirit that only he can do of bringing people to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And this we pray in Christ's name and for his sake.